listen to the sounds. Chopping wood inside. Welcome to the Chopping Wood Inside podcast, the Twin Peaks podcast for conspiracy theorists and aficionados. I'm your host, Murphy. Tom, you still out there? <laughs> yeah. I'm still, still here, there. my friend. <laughs> yes. Brother Ben, I'm here, but I am very sad because of the oh, news. Dude, our hearts hang, low, uh, hang very, very low today for the passing of our friend Harry Dean Stanton, who's been an idol of ours our entire life, and I thought he was going to always be here. Um, yeah, so it's real shocking. It's very sad to see him go. Yeah, I thought friend. I actually Mahal thought he Carl would. Rod, St. Carl <laughs> and White Lodge. And for me, Travis him. Anderson from Paris, Texas, which oh, uh, yes, um, was so uh, good. Also, uh, <laughs> Dread Dawn, avenge me. That's the first time I ever saw him, dude. I saw that in the theater as a kid and then seeing Repo Man as well. Uh, really, really, that's that's my first memory of him. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it was Alien. Uh, yeah, Alien. And it was I think I had seen him in Escape Pretty from in New York. And <laughs> he was great, pretty in peak, man. He was great, yeah. Um, and I saw him in Escape from New York and Christine, but it wasn't until I saw um, Paris, Texas, and Repo Man when I was about 14. And uh, Faces of Stone, he would be on the Mount Rushmore Definitely. of great actors yes. um, in my lifetime. Dude, how do we not never go to Dantana's? All the years I've lived here, we've driven by there a million times. <sighs> I've never gone. I've never. That's my one of my biggest regrets is never going in to say. See if I could say hello to Harry Dean. Yeah, was he was just—he uh, was great. Years. Not only for Lynch's work. I mean, he was—he was in uh, the first thing he did with Lynch was *The Cowboy and the Frenchman*, which was this like twenty-minute short film. And then he yeah, was—I saw that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then he was in *Wild at Heart*, and he was so so was, good in *Wild at Heart*. His uh, death scene. Fuck me, Reggie! Like, did like <laughs> look that look on his face? That's a great that death look. Boy, he is so good. Yeah, was I he just, in *Apocalypse Now* as well. No, he was in yeah. Francis Coppola's um, One from the Heart, though. Oh, played... yeah, One from the Heart. Underrated movie, man. It's on Hulu, right? That's a great movie. That's a it crazy is. movie. It's insane, but it's and really he good. It's rocks like a perm. this perm. <laughs> yes. Roll Julie's military gar. Really good movie. He plays Lothario. It, yeah, he, he does. Yeah, and he gets seduced by Lainey Kazan. But uh, also, um, Rancho Deluxe with Sam Waterston and Jeff Bridges, Cisco Pike with Chris Christopherson. Uh, straight time with Dusty Hoffman. I mean, Harry Dean uh, sometimes would only be in a movie for a couple of scenes, but always memorable. And uh, I'm just fortunate that uh, he was able to get a lead in uh, Paris, Texas, because for me, that is, along with Blue Velvet, my two fo- most favorite films. And he just knocked it out of the park with Sam Shepard writing it, who I love, and Vim Vendors directing it with Rye Cooter's score. That movie is perfection. And to have Harry Dean carry it uh, with his hangdog face... And with Nastasia Kinski and Dean Stockwell, um, just an incredible film. And and Harry Dean, I, I just I love him. I will always love him. I thought he would be immortal, smoking every day for seventy five fucking years. And I thought he would, if anyone was gonna uh, somehow <laughs> cheat death, it would be Harry Dean. But yeah, uh, he had the shovel too. In episode sixteen, right? He was ready to go fight. I thought he was right. gonna join the gold shovel brigade, but they didn't call him. Call him for duty. But he was ready. 
yeah. uh, St. Carl. We're going to miss him. So uh, what do we here? We're here to talk about. It's to go back in time, actually. To the be- we want to go back to the beginning of the series and kind of give our, uh, you know, impressions on you know what we think of it now, episode by episode, based on what we know from obviously watching the whole season. Do you have any uh, preface for our audience before we jump in? Yeah. Well, Murphy episode and I. One. Yeah. Actually, uh, you know, Murphy and I were together in high school and watched the original Twin Peaks and. When we heard that um, Lynch and Frost were going to revisit and when we got a date, there was no question Murphy and I were going to be together. We don't live in the same city, so I actually flew out to sunny California, and we actually had some friends in town as well before the premiere on May 21st, and we had some, we had an interesting time, and uh, it was great, but um, on May 21st... They're not Twin Peaks fans at all. <laughs> no, in fact... <laughs> Remember when we, we had gone to a Dodger game that day and our friend Joe was flying back home to Philadelphia. I was going to take an Uber to the airport, but um, we had discovered that the shows had dropped. The first four shows had dropped and we couldn't wait. So uh, we huddled together and did like a little prayer and we all yeah, sat down. Season, like a football team. We prayed together. We said, it's a good season. Let's do this. We right. And, and, and our friend Joe, we call Hondo, is, is, he was so enthused and he knows of Twin Peaks. And he actually was the one that when we watched Firewalk with me repeatedly back in our college days, he was the one that would do the Judy. Judy. Yeah. And yeah. that's what I took, <laughs> I took really that high from Hondo. He would do the Judy yeah. thing. <laughs> the Judy thing. So he always, that was his favorite part. Yeah. We would get really stoned and watch uh, Firewalk. Although he me. wasn't really into the new incarnation, I don't think. He was like uh, eight seconds into the show. He was not into it, I could tell. <laughs> no, I looked over and he was, he was texting. He was already, he just couldn't get into it. And I remember like I was, you were saying, you were commenting on some sort of bravura thing in the first 10 seconds. I remember he looked at me and gave me the old eyebrow arch and I was like, uh oh, he's not into it. He's not into it. We saw the division early. So anyway, so, uh, what do you want to jump right in? I've got it all queued up. Do you have? Yeah, I'm up? on the uh, Rancho Rosa. So if anyone wants to queue it up uh, with us and follow along, we're on the Rancho Rosa logo, and we are going to hit play right now. So hopefully, Murphy, you hit play, and we're so going to if we go comment along Rancho with the show. Rosa, like, what color was that? I'm colorblind. What the fuck color was that? That Rancho was kind of like a gold, kind of little gold, maybe right. bronze. Is that yeah, a little bronze. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. And uh, here we have color. right off the bat the red room, and this should we... have been symbolic. It's going to be disorienting because this is a, definitely a disorienting beginning. Oh, here we go in Cooper. Bam, with Laura. Wow. Well, this was it, right? So Frost called Lynch up. And said, hey, do you realize that uh, we have a potential entryway? We don't have to reboot it, anything. You had Lynch, you did in the last episode, had Laura Palmer say, I'll see you again in 25 years. And that's when <laughs> Lynch, Lynch said, really? Pre- I did? Like, he did, do you remember that? He did the Holy Jumpin' George. Yeah. Holy Jumpin' George. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was and it, huh? That was it. They, they felt that with television progressing to the point where it's now considered the golden age, that they wanted to contribute and have something to say. And instead, like I said, of, of having to reboot it, they could just continue the story. And Lynch and Frost conceived, um, obviously, a whole new narrative. But we started off right there with that great scene in the lodge 25 years ago. And Lynch actually cut. He changed the editing when Laura does that little snap. Yeah, it, he held impactful. on her. And, yeah, snap. Yeah, and it cuts right to him immediately. It's right almost like he's under her spell or something in this right. incarnation. Uh, and this so is the first go. time we have a different. Well, we have a kind of a prolonged credit sequence. We have the uh, the Packard sawmill, which we don't ever see again. I think we may see in the background at the sheriff's station in one scene later on 
um, after they get the message from Briggs, Bobby, Truman, and Hawk. But we have that girl, that shot of the girl screaming in the courtyard, um, which was actually one of the Giants' visual clues to Andy, which I thought was very interesting. Yeah, and this is the only shot we ever see of the high school, the entire series. That's right. It's a shock. Right. Well, we spent so much time in the original series, but we didn't have any teenage characters this, this go around. Everyone was in their, well, not everyone, but our youths were in their 20s. But they didn't look like college kids. I think the sparkle had something to do with that. Maybe they renamed it to the Laura Palmer High School. Like, you know, <laughs> like, right. The gym. Well, does it like, well, there were a couple instances, like, well, Beverly, remember the Ashley Judd character when. Ben mentioned uh, Agent Cooper uh, investigating Laura Palmer's murder. She was like, who's Laura Palmer? So I don't know. Maybe she's not from Twin Peaks. Yeah, I guess but... there's not statues around town. Right, Palmer, yeah. Probably. And it makes sense that with the reality of her father killing her, that that would get swept up under the yeah. carpet again. Not again, but that it wouldn't be, you know, uh, something that would be around the dinner uh, table. The conversation is lively. I don't think they would be talking about Laura Palmer. So. Oh, the kid at the grocery store in episode whatever that was, 12, he knew all about uh, you know the, the old haunted house lady. So probably there's some rumors going on, right? Right, the old haunted house. We'll talk about that, the old portal um, that uh, uh, related to the Tremont painting that we think uh, is the reason why Sarah is possessed and is the new hub of evil right there in Twin Peaks. That's right. We'll never know for sure. But it seemed like uh, that Miss Tremont lady was like uh, scary as shit. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, doesn't it make sense more. that season four of that that Tremont obviously was the woman who gave Mrs. Tremont gave Laura the painting, and if that painting has a strong influence over Sarah Palmer and the house, that whoever's living there would be a Tremont or a Chalfont. Yep. Here we are with the first scene, which I still think could be the last scene in the continuous Mobius strip that is this season, with the giant. Talking to Agent Cooper, there he is, our right. agent. With when is this seri- when is this ep- when is this uh, scene occurring, Tom? In your in your philosophy? Well, uh, if it was to occur, as you say, at the end, I would think that he would have his FBI pin, but he does not have <laughs> yeah, his yeah, FBI, pin. FBI pin. <laughs> yeah, man, the FBI pin. I think he maybe he lost his stripes because he's been fucking up so many times, and so they took the FBI pin away from him until he earns it again. Well, just watching it again, the giant is very stern, has a stern look on his face, or maybe a disappointment, concern that maybe Cooper is responsible for it being in our house now. Yeah, I Um, think so. And then he goes like, uh, you know, remember 430, but he goes like, remember Richard and Linda? I always thought that was interesting, the way he inflected the Linda, and I thought he's like throwing some shade at our Agent Cooper. Like, don't you remember these guys, Linda? Huh? (laughs) well he does well he does say like uh first he's cooper is uncertain about what it it is in our house now means because he he says it is but when why did he say all cannot be said aloud now like when can it be said aloud he gave freddie the full lowdown right right i and this obviously showed andy fucking visual evidence (laughs) many shots of visual like slideshow maybe he doesn't trust cooper with giving him the whole he's only giving him the same bad clues he's giving him like the bad leads you know he's not giving good leads he's got the same old crappy leads he's the same clues yeah well i would think that if this this scene took place at any point it would have had to have been um when cooper left the uh the purple room in part three up until the whole we live inside a dream in part 17 um, or it could have happened at some point in part 18 that we didn't see. I don't believe that it's the end scene since Cooper seems to understand all of those clues. And he had told Cole originally 
before he disappeared that he's trying to kill two birds with one stone. Now that could have just yeah, been I think it's interesting that he mentioned that cuz that seems like the fatal flaw in Cooper's theory is trying to do too much here. Yeah. But you are and far he's like, away. You are far away, buddy. You're far away from Yeah, you could be far away. Just, did he just like crinkle out of existence? Like he may have just ended his timeline right there. <laughs> cuz in all the other episodes like you know those are that's not a good sign that that cut that fade out or cutaway is not a, it does usually doesn't mean good things. Well, yeah, non-existence. Non-existent, which is the evolution of the arm set or the doppelganger of the evolution of the arm. So um, we're now in Twin Peaks, our first real scene, and it's Dr. Jacoby. And this is when I got the old original. I was like, what's happening? (laughs) It's going to be six minutes of this. Yeah, I didn't understand the, the, the slow pace that we were in for. I was very antsy. Well, yeah, but isn't Lynch basically, uh, like you said, you were telling me before, teaching us how to experience this show, that it wasn't going to be, this was going to be a new iteration of Twin Peaks, not only 25 years later with new characters, a new story, but a new aesthetic. Um, The the lack of familiarity, not only with uh, like locations, but with music and feelings. This is a completely different beast, and we get it right off the bat. Um, not only do we start off with the fireman and Agent Cooper, but we start off in Twin Peaks with Jacoby, who was one of, more of our fringe players in the original series, um, receiving a mysterious package. As we know now, it has relevance to his uh, his uh, his rant, his show that he puts Are those on. the wholesale shovels he's buying? That's what he's getting there? Yeah, he's buying the, the shovels. And Lynch is keeping How much the, he gets them for? Like four cents? Sells them for 40 bucks or whatever? I think a shovel would be more than four cents, though. Yeah. Maybe like four dollars. Yeah. But Lynch has this shot right here of like the cameras at a distance between these two trees, the trees. and it's not uh, stable. It's moving ever so subtly uh, to give you some kind of like hypnotic dreamlike quality. And like I said, this is Lynch setting us up um, for this new version of Twin Peaks, which took Murphy and I a while to kind of get into. I think we both really, really, really didn't get into the first time until part three. Yeah, I mean, maybe like in retrospect, like these shots here, like the trees, the evil in the trees watching Jacoby. Like yeah, watching, oh, that's good. Yeah, you know? yeah, because of what Gersten and Stephen and yeah, Jerry out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah that. Pro- but it was never really alluded to. Like in the original series, Harry talked about there's this presence, this darkness in the woods. It's been there for as long as anyone. You know, well, but it was remember. alluded to in about 400 like transition shots of the woods. They were very <laughs> <Right>. scary. <laughs> Hey, what about this transition shot of New York City? Oh, this shot of New York City. Holy shit. That's what I'm saying. How did he do this? I don't know what he did to make these shots look so striking because we've seen a million overheads of downtown Manhattan. And this just looks, it's hypnotic. And I love the way they fade in on that crazy ass building. I don't know if it's props to the location scout who found that building, which is a real bizarre, like NSA headquarters. And some, they do all kinds of mysterious shit in there in real life. Yeah. There really is no windows. So I love this, this transition up. Right, and then going from the actual eye of the glass box and and, and kind of like zooming out a little bit and you get the the perspective. And we don't know. We've never been outside of Twin Peaks except for James. I was like, when has Lynch ever been in New York? You know what I'm saying? When has his work taken us to New York? Well, I don't think he's ever had any, yeah. um, Has he ever been in New York before? In any of his films? Yeah, any of his work ever? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sure he's uh, photographed. Um, he likes, but not know. like in film, like Inland Empire. No, I've seen in New York. No, okay, so. no, and that—that's what's really disoriented for mysterious. Twin Peaks. Here's the show, and we get one scene in Twin Peaks, and now we're in New York City in this mysterious room with a character that we're not familiar with, and 
this glass box and this guy sam is the watcher he's got these cameras set up and we don't know it's this setup but all 25 years later we want to know how's annie and where cooper is and what our townsfolk are doing and lynch and frost they're not concerned with that right now they're building a new narrative and even so this glass box this new york city location really is only in the first two episodes we get one minor uh visual reference to it i think in part 10 with tammy bringing a photograph showing mr c outside of it but yes really created this glass box you know i think last podcast you, you thought maybe cole had gone rogue and like you know been doing some blue rose case where this was a, a part of that but i don't really see that happening you know it's like seems like mr c you had an interesting theory maybe mr c like co-opted like the original plan and then he turned this turned it into evil like because he still has some of the memories right of, of agent cooper so it's like conceivable that he would be able to you know spin off of that two birds with one stone plan like whatever that plan was to capture judy or mother or whatever it is like this could be an offshoot of that yeah what maybe C. Yeah, what maybe be the only billionaire. Then one would refer to the anonymous billionaire as being agent, you know, or being Gordon Cole, right? Well, no, I think that's kind of a ruse too. He said, "I heard it was an anonymous billionaire." I mean, that I always assumed that was a ruse. He probably only got that information from the the person who um, had his role before him, who told him that he saw something at one point, but couldn't, you know, elaborate. Um, but the reason why, the only reason why I suspect that Cole or the Blue Rose Task Force might have something to do with it is that Cole in 17 told Albert and Tammy that before Briggs and Cooper disappeared, that they came up, a, for, uh, came up with a plan that would lead to Judy. But both Briggs and Cooper disappeared. Well, maybe it's possible that this plan uh, was related to this glass box and Cole was using some secret funds over the years to... Um, to, to, to fund it and uh, that that would actually somehow lead to, to Judy because um, what we know about um, uh, the, the, the glass box with Mr. C, like you said, that he was looking for something obviously that we thought was related to mother. And if having he had some um, uh, shared memories with Cooper, like I said, co-opted it or whatever, but it's, 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 kind of a, a leap of faith here to go with that but we don't really know we don't know what the relevance is well someone had to create it so well yeah for a, a purpose but yeah i just the only reason another reason with, with gordon cole well the, now. but that tammy had that photograph right or she brought when we were introduced to her she had information on the penthouse murders which we know were sam and tracy so why would they be on to that particular case. I don't think it was assigned a blue rose. It could be because... Well, I mean, we saw Matthew Lillard's head get eaten off in a similar way. What if there was some flag in the FBI? If anybody's head shows up eaten off like this, alert us, because that's going to be one of ours. <laughs> yeah, we'll never get any answers, but uh, that whole... Here we go, Madeline Zima, the introduction of Madeline Zima, the mysterious and lovely Madeline Zima, who looks a lot more mysterious with those Z cups, considering all the Zawaskis and the Z bakeries and the other White Lodge... Uh, you know, sleeper cells that we saw activated in the other future episodes. Maybe she's a White Lodge sleeper cell trying to get in there and uh, shut down this rogue operation. Well, she's got an interesting motive for doing it by basically seducing Sam. Um, I think that she was hired by someone to get in that room and perform. That's like the only explanation for me. Like, who else could have hired her? 
You know, I can't think of anybody uh, uh, an option B other than what Mr. C, the White Lodge, the White Lodge, or oh, the White Lodge. <laughs> so she, the White Lodge had to. She has to be a White Lodge agent. So like she I, was. I can't. I can't think of what. I guess Plan B could just be she's just a girl and she's attracted to him. So Plan B. She's just a martyr. B. Yeah, just a bad luck. She just she's came just curious. <laughs> she's curious about the box, like anybody would be. Like, what's that all about? Well, this whole you know, but I do think she does have ulterior motives. Actually, I like to believe. Wait, that. that right? That that scene right there where she's, she's looking a white at lodge the code. Entity, yeah. Yeah, look at that. Yeah. She's looking serious. You're a bad girl, Tracy. Try me. So she wants to get in that room, and I don't think it's just from curiosity. I think that she has an agenda based on being hired by whomever, whether it's a White Lodge or she was had a vision like Freddie or if Mr. C. Maybe she was hired by Mike. Well, that's Mike. true. Yeah, it's possible. Well, I mean, we'll never know, but uh, I, for me, I speculate – since what they saw was the experiment, or we think is the experiment in that box, which appeared when they started having sex, that it was forced or it was uh, summoned or attracted to that aspect of our... Yeah, like Bob. Yeah, like Bob, right? Bob. But I I just don't know why Cooper showed up in that same location. Was it a trap? And was it to be devoured by the experiment and just the timing was off um, because remember that that shutter that happened it's almost like he was it's almost like a man-made portal or a receiver not a complete portal but it's like a mini it's a man-made version of it trying to replicate some capturing of, of uh, like a you know an entryway you know it's like a little stop on the uh, when when you know we see later when cooper's careening through space on the you know <laughs> astral plane it's like that it's just, it's just a stop you could stop on the highway and you know, here's one and it doesn't last long. I don't think the technology is enough to where you can actually capture this thing like in Ghostbusters, but you keep it around for a while for a few shots, a few flashes of milliseconds that they're capturing on video. That's So they're still, far, they're still early on in their development, I think, at this box. That experiment is one functional. big Twinkie, my friend. Um, we are in the Great Northern, and uh, we see Ben Horn and Beverly, played by Ashley Judd. And uh, the first thing I noticed was Ben is back to smoking cigars, which I really liked. He doesn't need celery or carrots at this point, I think. Um, yeah, no. Back to the cigar. He has some pleasures in his life. It looks like he's reformed right. a lot of other things. So he's not uh, got rid of Jack's probably. So, uh, you know. And he makes a that. reference to uh, Mrs. Houseman and her New York friends who keep their spa open. So I was making a connection to the previous scene, the New York, the glass box. And, of course, we never – that was red herring number one. We thought that uh, there would be a connection. But there were – how many red herrings did we have in this entire season? More than 500? Uh, well, we're doing over under, but 500 or less. And there's Jerry. Oh, there's our friend Jerry. He looks like a little knight of the squire. Giving <laughs> my lady bow. He looks pretty fucked up here before he even starts. His eyes, <laughs> he's not quite there. But I love his character. I love what they did with him. I love his art. Uh, yeah, I do too. So what do you think it was with, obviously Ben is this has this internal struggle with his urges for power and sex and Jerry what for him he obviously had a because him and Ben were you know there were simpatico in their dealings and their desires and somehow Jerry took an alternate path which led to this new business venture and instead of being a foodie well well, he's still I guess kind of a foodie but he's now a drug foodie yeah so he's the same yeah he just he just went the the way of the pot dealer and uh, Ben's old school drinking the scotch probably has smoked. Yeah, no more double. Understand it. No more double. Yeah, double scotches on the rocks. 
yeah, so they're just different worlds, but they probably still, I think they're more alike than they, they but just Jerry's, he's into going off in the woods now. He's like, he's a complete hippie. Yeah. Ben doesn't get this. Yeah. He's he skipped the whole hippie generation. Yeah. He was, he was in dance school or something. <laughs> so this is really, well, this, I guess is our second scene in Twin Peaks, but here we are again, no music. The camera is at a distance. We're not, we don't really get any close-ups. Um, there's not a lot of camera movement. Um, this is Lynch Did telling us. Did you say us, Lynch and Frost both smoke marijuana? Did I say that or do I think that? No, I'm wondering. I'm just wondering. The scene here, I would think somebody wrote this who looks pretty familiar with the weed scene. Well, Frost? I, I mean, Lynch. if I had to guess if one of them did it, it would be Frost. I don't think Lynch does any drugs, but uh, that would be a, a guess on my part. Yeah, but, probably uh, a Frost creation. Yeah. Oh, here we go. Here's the mysterious insurance agent <laughs> that everyone talks so much about. <laughs> Red herring number two. <laughs> <laughs> so this scene exists solely to let the audience know that there are now two Sheriff Trumans. Yes, you couldn't get your head around that, but I think obviously that was the reason for this scene. That's it. Yeah, but it went on for like four minutes. Well, everything went on for four minutes. That's (laughs) short. short It did take... Is this the first scene we get? We got a little shot of Wally Brando in the background? Did we just see it? Oh, is there the photograph? The photoshopped? (laughs) Oh my, yeah. Yeah. That's such a good shot. That was, yeah. And uh, Lucy is still Lucy. It's great to see her. But uh, she really hasn't changed. But in fact, in 25 years, don't you say there's been kind of a dumbing down of her character? Oh well, in the end, though, she. Had well, no, yeah, I was going to get to that. So, I was going to yeah, say that I would, she I did. Would say that. But for well, people get people lose a little bit of their spark as they get older. So she hasn't had a lot of mental stimulation. To hang out with Andy. Well, I thought that long. maybe they watch Jeopardy or something like that. that but uh, you know, that, she's got a you know Sudoku, she, keep her brain nimble. I thought maybe she was suffering from some kind of mental illness. I mean, she just couldn't get the idea of cell phones. That just seems so bizarre. But oh, here we go. She had to kill a man to get it. She did. <laughs> this is the introduction of. Uh, yeah, the scene you love so much. I love, I love this, this because scene, right off the bat, you were standing up and like you know, and I was like. Well, it sounded good. It was like the Bob Mobile coming. I was like, "All right, hello, hello, Bob, Bob." But and I was very scared. But I wasn't scared of what came out of this car. <laughs> and a minute later, yeah, you started laughing it took me a while immediately. To get used to <laughs> I was on board. I, I loved it. I loved the slow POV. Um, if you notice that most of the POVs associated with Mr. C are curves, and when Cooper is driving, I think especially in Part 18, um, his POVs are normally a straight line. So. Um, it's a little visual. Yeah, this visual. is our first Phantom Ride shot, our first Lynch car drive. Yeah, scene. and then it's when we cut to the the, the shot of the car coming to the camera, that's when I I was like, okay, this is I think this is going to be the the Cooper doppelganger, and of course we got it, but I didn't expect him to uh, be dressed in leather and snakeskin shirt and kind of look like Michael Madsen, circa like 1998. Or sailor, I was like, why or- did they have to choose the the snakeskin shirt? That's the only thing. I was like, they could have chosen something different. So that's very evocative. I love the kind of the yeah yeah the when they hit that I was like yeah it was good I was like I got to get used to this I'm not I was like can Kyle pull this shit I've, I've been watching him on Portlandia yucking it up for years you know so I haven't seen this side of him ever and I don't think anybody had really and so it was it took me a while to get used to it but now I can appreciate it because he's he just looked so great yeah he was fantastic and uh, uh, he disarms the uh, uh, sentry and then here we have uh, Otis. Um, drinking his moonshine. Hey, favorite character. I, I love Otis, and he's the one who utters Mr. C. I think he's the only one who calls him Mr. C. And I just love his inflection yeah. and um, just his, his facial expressions. And Cooper is just kind of stone-faced. He looks and sees the two other strange characters <laughs> in the room who we have no idea. 
Chickens they're... clucking distantly. I love the voice of the. Oh, the, you're, the you're watching with the uh, captions yeah. on. But uh, yeah, he's got his little uh, bronze tan. And uh, we're yeah, about... he means business. He's like Johnny Cash. He's kind of doing a little Johnny Cash thing here, I think. Yeah, but. Like that facial expression is Johnny Cash like. But we now know that. Here comes the guy creeping up. You should take care of him, but he's not worried. No, he's not worried. He's got it covered. He doesn't need it. He just lifts an arm, and uh, that's it. He's just a. Well, we know from his (laughs) arm wrestling, from his starting position, he's he's imbued with, you know, strength, supernatural strength. But Beulah is going to show up here, who I thought was a fascinating character. She only had. She had the classic line: "World of truck drivers." And Which kind of made sense now after we saw that Sarah Palmer truck you and that guy. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's, a, that's a truck driver. Yeah. I get it. And uh, I always thought in that back room, what was going on in that back room? Like, as Mr. C says, you got Ray and uh, Daria somewhere back there, Beulah. And she goes, oh, I'll go get him for you. And uh, well, it didn't look like a, a kind of a big house on the outside. And um, what? Why would they be back there? What are they doing? What, why does Mr. Yeah, what are they doing? What is, Do they live there? Watching television, <laughs> fixing their hair. But why does uh, Mr. C want Ray and Daria? Because the whole plan, right, is to get these coordinates from. Yeah, and Ray's a really FBI undercover agent. Yeah, he's an informant. So is he, he an informant that, right yeah. now? You would assume, right? No, I would think. What, don't you think they turned him after he got arrested? Because then, like, if he was here now as an FBI informant, then the, the you know the Blue Rose Task Force would already be on to Mr. C's case, which they weren't. Yeah. Whenever they really get that call. Yeah. Coop or whatever, you know, like they didn't know about him. So I think maybe he got turned later. Oh, here's your uh, Here favorite. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> the shot of Ray coming out. looks like an absolute <laughs> cartoon character from the planet Geek. And I loved it when I saw I thought he was so funny. I laughed his face. I was like, this guy is ridiculous and I love him already. Because he looks so serious but so cartoonish. He's like yeah, Glass Joe in like that old like boxing video game from the 80s. I forget what's <laughs> the Glass Joe jaw. He's got a comic, comically... Uh, yeah, broad jaw, and uh, it just makes me laugh. And he uh, he had a great arc. We didn't think he was going to be a anything. Great arc. He was really great. Yeah. He was great. Yeah, there were some people Stand that out. didn't get uh, the arcs that I hoped for, but um, I was really surprised. And he was only one of two people to uh, to kill Mr. C. And Lucy was the second one. Yeah, he was noble as well. He went down fighting for the FBI, so there you go. Right, but we didn't know that until much, much later. Yeah. So, and where do you think this Fuck is? It. Do you think this is in South Dakota or Montana? I don't know. It seems like it's in the South. So, where do, where do they hunt raccoons? Because there's about 800 raccoons in the world. <laughs> so, we track that down. Are there raccoons in South Dakota? I guess raccoons are everywhere. But, uh, yeah, I don't know, man. I always thought it was somewhere in New Orleans or somewhere in the South. But maybe it is in, like, South Dakota or something. Yeah. Montana. Yeah. Where they were rolling around. But you would think, though, right, that if Mr. C wanted Ray and Daria for a purpose, it seems like he knew that Ray knew of Hastings or that could get the information. So he could have just, if, if not, he could have just hired anyone. And why couldn't he just go get it himself? That's what is still so murky for me. Well, yeah, hooked, who hooked him up with him anyway? Yeah. Like, how would he know? Right. Like, who's, who helps him? Right. So we don't know that. And obviously they're getting uh, a message from someone claiming to be Jeffries to actually knock off Mr. C. We'll get to that a little bit later, but... Uh, that whole subplot, along with several other subplots, still very, very murky. But I love it. I love it so. I love the whole world. Of yep, Twin Peaks. we're back in New York now, and here Sam is checking his little memory cards, putting his, uh, putting them away in safekeeping. Don't you think? I mean, can you imagine all the people watching this? There was such hype. The new Twin Peaks, and David Lynch hadn't uh, produced, directed anything. 
um, of any real you know importance since Inland Empire in 2005. And here we are like 20 or so minutes into it. And it is a completely different beast. It is completely unfamiliar. We're spending most of our There's time. There's been like eight lines of dialogue. Like 20, 20 <laughs> right. lines of dialogue. And 20 minutes. I always thought because when I was reading the first set of articles um, when it was announced, Frost hit the circuit and he spoke to just about anyone who would listen um, about, you know, what their intentions were without being, you know, too revealing. But he was very consistent in saying that uh, that they had conceived the idea in like 2011 or 2012 and spent a couple of years really, you know, working on it, talking about it at first and then writing it and that it had a, this very strong narrative core. And he did say that it wasn't going to take place all in Twin Peaks, but they were still calling it Twin Peaks. But this, in my opinion, uh, it doesn't have a strong narrative core. And I think that is what's been most disconcerting for either old fans, new fans, or people um, familiar or unfamiliar with the show. Because we have in the original series, right off the bat, the homecoming queen is murdered. And we're... Uh, really thrust right into the storyline and meet all these crazy characters in this this setting, which is completely you know different than anything that we've ever seen before. And they're doing almost now like the complete reverse of it. I mean, they're taking their sweet ass time to really kind of build up to a narrative, and we really don't get into any real storyline until Buckhorn. So I can see where people Are you accusing Lynch of going rogue on on Frost script. No, I don't know. I'm not saying that, but it's very. <laughs> You've alluded to that in past conversations. You can go ahead and say it if you think so. That's fine. I think you're probably right. I think because it seemed like they were building up to something. And what you need to do is just immediately think of the script as a nine episode script, the one they originally wrote, right? And think of the narrative structure and the tightness that Frost could have written into that thing and that maybe it did exist. But then they built it out and then Lynch started playing with things. And then at the end, he just kind of, like, it looked like at episode 16, things were coming together. <laughs> things are really coming together in right. Vegas. Things are really coming together and everything. And then they just kind of dropped it. And they, you know, in 18, they went different. You know, they, they decided not to answer the stuff, but it was leading up, you know, like all these mystery. We were wanting to see how it tied in and it looked like it was all going to be this masterful execution. But then maybe Lynch just went creative and had some different ideas at the end. And that's why Frost, uh, you know, his statement is not necessarily accurate anymore after he got lynched. <laughs> well, I think that um, he was a lot, you know, on board. I love lynched. I'm glad we got lynched. I, I, I'm <laughs> very thankful for what we, you know, we yeah. got 18 hours, but I, I love part 18. I, I'm still fascinated by it. And I think we got a proper ending in part 17, but I didn't think they wanted to, in my opinion, they wanted to wrap it up in this nice little package that I think that they had more stories to tell and we got that. Well, think of this. What if it just ended at 17? Would you think it wrapped up? Yeah. What, I mean, you get by saving Laura. And just, yeah, just, and they couldn't get her, and then it all, that's it. Like, boo, that would be, that would, I think everybody would be like, okay, mission accomplished. I, I, it's just the 18 that fucked everyone's head up. <laughs> but I'm glad that they did fuck everyone's head up. Yeah. Right? Because I wonder if that 18, I mean, what, how could that 18 have been in there in the original script? I don't think it was. <laughs> I think it ended on 17, right? Don't you think? No, I mean, it... I, 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 from what I've read recently, I think it was Sabrina Sutherland, the executive producer, um, said that they had Frost and Lynch had written the script, and but then Frost went off to write the secret history of Twin Peaks. But Lynch kept writing, and he would send the information when yeah, he was writing to is. Frost. And I, I, I believe really that this was more uh, of a Lynch like production. I think that he collaborated with Frost, but this is I would say like seventy-five to eighty-five percent David Lynch. 
Um, and I'm sure Frost handled a lot of the heavy lifting with the dialogue and with the scene construction. But if Lynch wanted to do something, I think Lynch did it. He just always is very intuitive and just went with it. And I think Frost allowed him to do it and trusted him. So maybe that was part of the plan with part 18 that Frost was like, okay, let's give like a kind of a, a one ending in part 17 and Hey, you know, let's give them something else to think about for, you know, how many years for part 18. Cause that's certainly how it, yeah. it appears. Yeah. Right. This is for next uh, possible season four as well. So I think if we'd gotten answers, we probably would have been like, yeah, answers. I don't want answers. We wouldn't want them then. Well, yeah, people would. <laughs> yeah. It's two spots, too final. So here we are back to the scene. Okay, here the two lovers are sitting on the sofa, which I think should be a little bigger if they were really <laughs> wanting to have some sex on this couch to conjure up the mother. But uh, yeah, what are your thoughts? Well, on this she seems to have like a plan. She's just looking over at him, the way that her legs are positioned, her body language, and he, you know, he says, "Do you want to make out?" You know, for a little bit. He just seems to be straight out of like you know Lumberton and Blue Velvet, and I think she really is the instigator here. Um, I don't think, obviously, they know what is going to transpire, but I have always been under the impression that she was hired to do exactly what she is doing. And um, I love that so- that soft oh, rumbling yeah. sound effect they just did. What did the closed really captioning cool. say when that did? It said soft rumbling. <laughs> and I was like, that's the one. When I heard that soft rumbling, I got chills the first time I saw it. I was like, this is awesome. Because yeah. I love this scene. I, I, I didn't care. It was like, I was like, this is Kubrickian. You know, I felt it was like a Kubrick-like uh, scene, but I was into it, and this is starting to really freak me out because it just felt scary, and it felt something is coming out of that box, and something does, right? In like eight seconds. <laughs> well, yeah, as soon as they start, <laughs> which is making... weird though. I thought, see, they're making out normally, and then they start. She like gets up and tears her clothes off, which is very. I think it, it does kind of lead to your theory that you know she's uh, trying to set him up. Here. Well, yeah, because the glass it's, box actually not the natural progression. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't. Or maybe there was only a few minutes though, and she needed to disrobe really quick. Well, because the security guard might be back. That's a possibility as well. Right. Well, I, yeah, I think he Super was expediency. He was called away by some mysterious force. I still think the anonymous billionaire phrase is a ruse. Uh, Sam said he heard that from uh, the, the the person that preceded. If you were Gordon him. Cole, though, would you trust this out? This thing with that that that. Uh, that uh, security guard, he didn't look very professional. No, I no. him. But used to all these military guys. I wouldn't hire that guy, that rent a cop. Well, you do notice that the the shit doesn't start going down until they actually start having sex. And she is the one who actually initiates it. Like you said, she pulls away from Because he says, do you want to make out for a little bit? I'm sure he's thinking about having sex. But they do for a little bit. And then she just pulls away from him, rises, and disrobes. And then when she's pretty much naked, he's like, oh, okay, game on. But it's when she uh, climbs on top of him is when the glass box goes dark. And that's when the experiment, who we assume to be the experiment, appears in the glass box when they're actually uh, in flagrante delicto. Um, any clue reference I can toss in there, I'm going to. But uh, yeah, I think it's like Bob. Like you said, Bob, is, he preys on the, the pleasures, as the one-armed man says. And I think maybe if this is the experiment, who Bob... Um, came from that uh, it, it would make sense that it would also appear and we know that his predecessor saw something it could have w- very well been the same thing but as to what the motive is is still um, cloudy um, I love how the glass box turns black first um, it just goes completely yeah, black soft whooshing very soft whooshing <laughs> and then Terrifying. he sees something and they stop and then um yeah, the image. And Holy you know shit, what? Uh, uh, Caitlin, our friend on, on, on Twitter, was watching The Art Life, the David Lynch documentary. And 
apparently there was some scenes, some stills of some artwork that Lynch was working on that is very, very similar to what this creature looks like. So obviously I know it's a, a Lynch creation, but it also reminds me of like Francis Bacon paintings that I know that Lynch is very, um, has been very influenced by Francis Bacon's work. But uh, this was terrifying. The mouth in the middle of the face. The mouth is really what's terrifying. It's just like the no eyes kind of, it's just, that's really a freakish. And then we get the close up here. Yeah. And the body, oh it seemed, I thought it was male at first, but then it looked like it had female breasts. Um, but kind of sexless. Cause I don't think there's any sex organs, but yeah, when it, here it comes. Oh, oh shit. yeah. When it's it, banging. I would be out that door. <laughs> how could, why did they run? What happened? Well, it was, it, they're just used to watching television. They just think that's going to This happen. would, Oh, there it is, the Jabberjaw, the uh, intense otherworldly Russian. That scene is very scary. Oh, God, This is one of the most incredible death scenes. It's just their bodies being just torn apart the, by the, the this experiment, just eating them, tearing, ripping their flesh apart, and the blood. But you're not able to see all of it because of the surrounding darkness, and then the slow fade out, and we come into another unfamiliar setting, which we are told is Buckhorn, South Dakota. And... Can you imagine just that, was a f- that scene freaked me out, man. Yeah, no, that was yeah, scene, that was scary. yeah. And then we have this. This is there. Like you mentioned, Kubrick. There are a lot of like that whole glass box is very like evokes uh, for me the ending of two thousand one. Hal, um, I know uh, Lynch is a huge Kubrick fan, and even this long shot down the hallway kind of reminds me of the high uh, the Shining. Um, but uh, you know, another big person with a small dog. Um, that's one of Lynch's staples in Blue Velvet. There was a big man walking a little dog while Jeffrey and Sandy were walking down the sidewalk. There's, I think, there's been a couple other examples. I want to say one in Wild at Heart as well. So, um, has he ever had a little man and a big dog? <laughs> no, I can't, no, I don't think so. But uh, yeah, we're gonna stay in Buckhorn for a little bit. Did you know that one of these cops that shows up? I think the one who actually says "uh oh" at both times when. Uh, First, the, the, the smell and then seeing the, 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 the body and the head. Is Bushnell Battling Bud's son, Don Murray's son? No, that's interesting. Yeah, he does kind of look like yeah, him, doesn't he? Yeah. So, wait, did they cast him? Did, how did that happen? Did they, does he it, work was, it was a coincidence. It's just it's like the head. No, I, who the hell knows? I'm not saying it was nepotism, but uh, who knows? Obviously, this guy didn't have you know that big of a part. But, yeah, I think it was good. I mean, pretty much everyone in, in, in this has been, uh, I, you know, perfectly cast whether it's a small role or not or sometimes if it's just a face like a perfect example is remember Jane Levy was one of the girls in the roadhouse I think with little Dickie Horn smoking baby the smoking yeah. she's you know she's been in some pretty you know big uh, uh, productions and she had like one line of dialogue but she has a good look I mean she has I think a good Lynchian look and she was memorable even if she wasn't Jane Levy I would still remember that smoking baby yeah, it's always wonderful casting. So here we are in Buckhorn. We spent a lot of time in this city, and we had no idea. We thought we were going to spend a few episodes. One episode, maybe. <laughs> and how many did we spend in like Buckhorn? 14 episodes. I like 12, 13. <laughs> <laughs> the whole series it could have been called Buckhorn. They were still in Buckhorn in part 17, which I just... Yeah, so go back to that theory that I had like in the very beginning of the season. Like, what if all the Buckhorn stuff happened in Twin Peaks? I think it's a fantastic theory. Uh, and, yeah. I mean, there's a part of me that I could deconstruct uh, the, the series and go like, okay, do this, do this, do this, do this from like either personal preference or some creativity. And I'm not saying that's the right thing to do. And I think that's part of like Lynch's genius. He opens up the, all these interpretations. Obviously this is what they wanted to do, whether 
Yeah, I can see a different reality, a different plane of reality for Twin Peaks, having like, you know, uh, Bill Hastings being like the science teacher at the Twin Peaks High School and having like, you know, all the stuff with this, with all the, that stuff being shown, Ruth and, you know, the secretary and then like coordinates and Ray, you know, that would have been a part of, of, a, of a Twin Peaks narrative that, you know, would have been more traditional like the old series. Um, not that I'm saying that I would prefer that, but um, that's the one thing I always thought, like, why are we in Buckhorn? You know, why, why Buckhorn? Why not just putting all this stuff in Twin Peaks? Um, so I still think it's an interesting theory, but um, no, I, 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 I think it would have been, there's a method they had to get there, you know, everyone had to get there. And that was the reason really why the FBI hung on the whole time. They just, they like, Buckhorn. I think the sh- is that, does, that, does Buckhorn exist? Is that a real no, town? It's not. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think there's a Buckhorn, but there's not one in South Dakota. Where's the Mayfair hotel. Where's that place? Where I think it's just outside of LA and your stomping grounds. Oh, I need to go. I think out. they yeah, shot okay, most of, I mean, they shot most of the series in California. Um, a lot of the other locations, South Dakota, New York, Las Vegas, most of them were just kind of like second unit. And they predominantly shot, obviously the Twin Peaks stuff was shot on location in Washington. But Well, I hope they named the penthouse the Gordon Cole <laughs> penthouse. penthouse well, just talking time. about your theory briefly about uh, the Buckhorn and the Twin Peaks, I think it would have, uh, I don't think it would have changed the narrative more. And I think it would have tightened it up a little bit. And I think it would have made the show a little bit more, uh, maybe safe, but successful, at least with uh, some of more of the coffee and pie fans of the original series, because I know I've read numerous um, uh, posts on, on several forums. There's still people trying to reconcile like this, this new iteration. Like it doesn't feel like Twin Peaks to them uh, for a very, very good reason, I think, because because it isn't the same Twin Peaks that we know and love. And I think it was a conscious choice. And that ultimately, I think, uh, down the line is going to really help the legacy of this new iteration is because it is its own beast. You're going to go back. You're going to still have the original series. And that is one like you know, storyline, one you know, kind of feeling, mood. Obviously, it's got different emotions and everything. But this is something completely different. It's going to live on independently, even though it's tied together. So I, I, it was bold and ballsy of them, and I, it was difficult at first for me to wrap my head around it and to kind of get into it. But ultimately, I think it was the right choice. Yeah, it too, and it ties into the whole multiverse theory. We're just seeing all the multiverses. These are all little pocket universes and little worlds going on, like all the little, I guess, 18 pocket universes we saw uh, at the end of every episode with the Roadhouse, with all, not 18, but all those young people, you know, having their lives. Those are all individual pocket universes. And this, like, the, this maintenance guy we're just seeing, you know, who's out by Ruth, he's got his own pocket right. universe story. We never see this guy again, but they set him up like he's going to be somebody, you know. So everyone deserves their own. Everyone's the star of their own movie in life, right? So Lynch kind of treats his characters that way, you know. You don't know which one's going to take hold or take take shape and be the, you know, the protagonist, or which one's going to drop off. But he really treats them all with respect when you uh, meet them, you know, and you think, hey, maybe this this story could go somewhere. Ninety eight percent of them don't. <laughs> when you look at it in a big picture, it all does. <laughs> right. You know, right. So well, this also nice too is I think that if Lynch was able to turn Mulholland Drive into the series that he wanted to would have been very similar to what we're seeing here with all these periphery characters and all these little divergence and tangents and rabbit holes that Lynch isn't necessarily interested in like obviously giving us answers and solving things. He's creating interesting characters and scenarios and situations and mysteries and suspicious characters and, and leaving uh, it up open to interpretation. Um, obviously, I think some of the bigger uh, plot threads he gives us more to kind of chew on but this character that you mentioned the the uh the hank character um is a perfect example we 
Hilarious with this huge phone. Yeah, we didn't know who he I was. We, he looked like a woodsman. Yeah, maybe he's a woodsman. He took his hat off. He could have been anybody. We thought he could have been. He had a creepy bag. Yeah, a weird cell we, phone. We think it might Who's be tied guy? into what's going on or what has occurred in Ruth Davenport's apartment, and we're we're trying to link it. I mean, I think people are conditioned from the movies and the television shows that. Uh, they've watched growing up and into their adult lives to think that everything is going to tie together and, and make sense. Well, Lynch is different. That's why he's, you know, he's a true artist. And that's why I don't think he has the popularity. I mean, he's famous and well-known, but his audience isn't, you know, com- you can't compare his audience to, um, you know, some of these other, uh, uh, you know, like these huge spectacles, even some of his contemporaries. Lynch is his own man and has his own like modus operandi and he, the mainstream came to him in Twin Peaks in 1990 and it's really the only time it happened even like Mulholland Drive his last really great success didn't really do that well at the box office but critically it's it's obviously you know praised and it's considered one of the best movies at least of the 21st century um, he's never going to find like a mass audience because people don't like uh uh, the unknown. They want answers, and Lynch isn't going to give it to them. No, he's not. Well, here we are seeing Jane Adams. Oh, first Constance, time. Constance uh, taking off the the big reveal of the blanket. What the hell was under that blanket? Well, it's a very freakish sight. It's uh, Major Briggs's uh, bloated corpse with no head, and Ruth Davenport's head positioned on top of it. Yeah. And a very horrifying shot. It's actually Lynch's wife's yeah. head yeah. cast. It doesn't look anything like her when she's in the roadhouse later. That's a no, and just knowing that's Briggs him, now, I he's got a very hairy, hairy belly, very her well. suit, yeah. Well, but he didn't Ooh. have his wedding ring on. I would assume that. Oh yeah, he, did, well, he has Dougie's wedding ring inside of him, but he didn't have his yeah. wedding ring on. I'm assuming that, even though he was <laughs> the gold ring mysteries, we just were never going to know. Like, how the hell did Dougie's wedding ring get into outside his stomach, and where is his wedding ring? Right. <laughs> and here's uh, the log Ooh, lady. Oh, did you know? Ring. Did you read that she shot? these scenes four days before she actually died yeah that's really intense man she put it all on the screen and uh, I mean she really this is like a life story this is really happening to her this is like uh, maybe it was some sort maybe maybe it was uh, therapeutic or something for her to, to be a part of this um, since she was transitioning and doing exactly what she's doing on the screen you know what a way to go out well I hope she's she's obviously been with Lynch since the very beginning with Eraserhead and when he announced the project, his message to her was, don't play in the street. Um, and she obviously became ill, and there was the delay in actually producing. There was that snag with the budget. And I always assumed that Lynch took a like a second unit, got his DP, Peter Deming, and because Catherine Coulson didn't shoot any scenes with anyone else, and they shot this before production because she obviously die like a week or two in production but apparently that's not the case they were actually in production they they planned her scenes to happen you know pretty soon when they started and she came very close to not being in the series and maybe knowing that she was going to be a part of this that this was going to be her swan, a swan song that she was able to obviously power through and perform and to actually I mean she was dying uh, of cancer I believe and Four days before she passed, she did. And there, she had a few scenes. I mean, she was in, I think, maybe four or five scenes. 
So really, I'm just so thankful. Yeah, like a day's work, a lot of work there probably. Yeah. That, was, that was the effort, yeah. man. She probably d- cut down her lifespan by significantly putting her efforts yeah. into this. It's just so her sad. Gold, her, her log is turning gold, and now she has moved on. She's up there in the sky with uh, with Harry Dean. Yeah, Harry Miguel Dean. Ferrer, David Bowie. A yeah, a lot of them. And uh, well, now here we are. Constance is doing one of the worst, uh, one of our bad CGI uh, <laughs> searches. On the and they match computer. with sure the oh, Matthew Lillard. That? Oh, we laughed when we saw that. That was <laughs> we yeah. laughed our ass off. All I could think about was Scream and SLC Punk because I don't and Scooby Doo. I guess I didn't see Scooby Doo, but I knew he was Shaggy. And it was like, oh, so Lillard. I knew he was on the cast list, but I had no idea obviously who he was going to play but uh he was fantastic right off the bat um hey buddy how you doing yeah i was like he's perfect yeah i thought he was great i was like i'm gonna like him as uh you know putting him in jail and having him figure out be the leland right (laughs) right i was like this is perfect well here's we're now finally you know getting some narrative here a story we have a, a body that's been discovered um we have a suspect yeah it's a mystery we have a mystery but it's still okay i get it kind of it's slow, well, slow, but slow. unfamiliar to fans. Yeah, we and uh, for me, this is where it started to pick up, right here in the Buckhorn investigation. I mean, I li- love... Yeah, the, which t- looks like Los Angeles right there outside of... Uh, yeah, that's the not... House. Like, I've never been to South Dakota, Dakota but... Like Canyon. <laughs> but uh, yeah, here we go. This is a funny scene. This scene, yeah, I think this is the one where I started like, okay, I'm going to like yeah. this. The whole Morgans are coming to dinner and him just in his sweater, presumably watching golf, drinking lemonade or tea or an Arnold Palmer. It's still very mysterious. Like Ruth's role in this whole thing or Phyllis's role. Um, like that Mr. C was in cahoots with her and that the, the woodsman wanted to know her name. Yeah. What's know, with they that? Attacked the, the, the zone, like, and she, she got swizzled when she got shot, you know, through yeah. the head or through the eye. She kind of did that weird Lynchian. So I was like, is she a doppel or a tulpa? Is she a tulpa? I don't think so because several other people had that same swizzle as you say. Remember, she goes. He goes like, "You, your behavior for your human you, behavior is good." You follow so human like nature yeah. perfectly. I think that's yeah. what he said. Sounds like it's something he would say to a tulpa, right? So, do you think Mister C spent the bulk of his twenty-five years creating like an army of tulpas? Tulpas, yeah. Well, but don't won. you think that he would need? Once you pop, he can't stop. Okay, you got to need multiple. This tulpas. is what I was always thinking about when we saw the the Dougie. Uh, Tulpa being created in part 18. The one our man had that gold bead, like his soul, and then put Cooper's hair on it and touched it and said electricity, and that created the Tulpa. So how did Mr. C create the Diane Tulpa? Did she, you know, did he kill her? Obviously, I don't... Yeah, how could he have that power? Right. You know what I'm saying? It seems like you need the electricity of the uh, of the of the one arm man and the ritual right. and stuff in the lodge. Maybe maybe the one arm man was helping him or something. I don't know. I uh, yeah, I don't think so. I don't I know think... how, I, that's a mystery. I don't know how yeah. that happened. So some Jack Parsons like earthly type sex ritual. <laughs> some people think is going on in episode eighteen. Wait, oh, with Diane and Cooper? Yeah, that they're actually creating like a moon child. No, no, no. That, 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 that's some sex ritual, like some Jack Parsons type conjuring to bring mother into the trap zone, that trap reality. Because oh. there had been like no pain and suffering there. So they so had sex she, in a motel you know, room to hide. and mother was summoned to the Palmer house? I don't yes. buy that. The, yeah, yeah, I don't buy that. Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess maybe she slowly got summoned to the Palmer house maybe because uh, Laura has to remember before, her, before, before she can show up. Like, cause she's the giant pain and suffering Garmin Bazia 
you know, like source. So once that gets detected on the mother's radar, she goes, "Ooh, well, go ahead and feast on this guy." I think this that the whole thing with the Tremont, Mrs. Tremont giving Laura the painting and Fire Walk with me, and seeing what happened to Laura, basically go enter the painting and and it being pretty much the same location above the convenience store, which we saw in the new series, that if the painting is still in the house, which I highly suspect, that over time, that the painting is become or overtaken the house and somehow the jumpy man or the experiment judy what have you has um, possessed laura palmer or excuse me sarah palmer that whole house has really been overtaken by that painting and is now like this hub of evil is now a portal or a gateway entry to the convenience store i don't think it is the black lodge um, i think it's a separate entity i don't think it is the convenience store i think it's really tied to that painting Dude, I think Mrs. Tremont's fucking pure evil, man. I think you mean Alice Tremont evil. or? Yes, Alice Tremont is pure fucking evil. I, that that performance I am uh, completely awestruck by, that she is a regular non-actor and that she pulled that shit off because it was horrifying and it scares the fuck out of me. And the way she looks at Laura and the way she's talking to her husband, I don't think she's even there. <laughs> I think it's all a bunch of ruse, man. I wish Cooper had had the guts to, or the brains to be able to kick in that door and go further to not just go, okay, bye. Because it just seemed like that—that's evil. That's the pure evil. Well, yeah. And it's Mrs. Tremont. I, I, she is mother. You think that she mother actually? She. Judy is like a representation. Yeah, she's like the face of Judy. Well, no, I mean, maybe, she, maybe her name was Judy before she. What if? Okay, Alice, what but, if you know. hypothetically, right in the original series, when Donna took Cooper to the Tremont house, which was next door to Harold Smith. And it wasn't Mrs. Tremont, at least the Mrs. Tremont that she knew, Frances Bay. It was another woman who said that she was a Tremont. What if, hypothetically mm-hmm. now, that the painting she gave Laura in Firewalk with Me was also in that residence? That somehow sure. that is – Yeah, like where the, where the cream corn yes. trick happened? Would, that allows them to somehow that. occupy the same time and space with the actual person who lived there. Because that's what I think is going on here at the end of part 18. That even though that woman, I, I agree with you, is creepy uh, in a very real kind of way. She's, she's not an actress, like you said. But I don't think she is host to anything. I think it's that house which is being influenced by that painting. Well, anyone in the house is evil. Oh, yeah. I, mean, yeah, I don't know whether yeah. she's a host, whatever it is. But she's a part of the evil. Everything in that house, even the soap, the, the toilet, everything's evil. <laughs> the toilet. Evil toilet, evil soap. <laughs> So Alice is evil as well. But evil television. There's one thing that's not bottles. evil in that house, my friend. Uh, the homecoming picture. That's true. They couldn't be destroyed they by can't. evil. And wasn't that an interesting uh, kind of full circle with Leland in the original series? We have to dance with Laura. We have to dance with Laura. And he's going, oh, he's holding the homecoming. Yeah. And then he and now he gets Sarah cuts himself in the blood, it. rubbing it on her face. And yes. did you know that was... That was such a terrifying scene, that one with Sarah smashing that... Laura, God, that was good. And the wails and the screeching and screeching. It was one of my favorite so scenes. Every one of her scenes was great, like uh, just unsettling. Even Well, if you overlay 17 and 18 like all these people are doing, then like Sarah starts freaking out right at the very end when they walk off. Yeah, when I watched that sync minutes, up, really it only seemed relevant cool like the last 10 or so minutes. Like There was a couple of, of moments, but uh, Sabrina Sutherland, the executive producer, kind of poo-pooed that. In her, um, that doesn't mean that it wasn't done. It just shows the mastery yeah. of Lynch and Frost and the symmetry, and like it's a fucking piece of art. It's like it's like a Da Vinci, you know what I'm saying? It's like a it's like geometry. 
It's uh, it's sacred geometry as well as arcs, <laughs> and just like the scene with the, Char- the Charlene Yi doing the, in the electrical fork with Cooper right. watching Sunset right. Boulevard, syncing that up. Right. And uh, so I think there's all kinds of cool shit going on. But I did like seeing that. I didn't watch the whole overlay, but I really liked I did. Uh, yeah. that experiment. I watched it. This. Uh, um, well, here we're back. We're back with Bill Hastings. <laughs> I love this. Him. Just He's mannerisms and facial expressions. <laughs> like we had pizza. Yeah. No. And. Well, uh, yeah. Pizza? He's just no, I I don't. How long does it usually take you to drive home? Here he's, now he's like, what? He's like, uh oh. He's like, oh yeah, because he'd forgotten. I think he doesn't know. Well, right now it's coming back. I think that, or does he lie in the whole time? He's, he knows obviously that what happened. He went to the zone. Uh yeah, I think you remember. But that shit. he still doesn't know. I think certain aspects of what did happen because he said he awoke in his house after the shit went down in the zone, and I believe that he really believes that. And when he told Phyllis... Yeah, I, do too. I believe that's what happened. I believe he yeah, woke up and didn't know what the hell happened. Right. He's like, what the fuck And it that? all kind of fits into this, we live inside a dream. Um, do you think he woke up, actually, and he was in Ruth's bed, and he looks, and there's Ruth's head, and Andrew Briggs' body's like, no! <laughs> and then he ran the hell out of there, trying to clean things up? <laughs> Excuse me. Those are pillows? <laughs> no, I don't, actually. It's Major no, Briggs. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. That, that's funny, yeah. yeah. Um, I love this, this interrogation out of love because we got... Well, you would think that, okay, they both were in the zone, right? She gets killed, but he's there. You would think if they get dropped out by the woodsman, like Ruth Davenport got dropped out of the zone when, when Cole went in, that they would be dropped off in the same place. Yeah, you would you think. Know? And who put the body see. part, or the Briggs body and Ruth Davenport's head, placed very, you know, uh, neatly in Ruth Davenport's apartment, in her bed? Was it like city number one? Yeah, he's like really into like set decoration or something. He wanted to make it perfect to make a serial killer. Like he wanted to like replicate a really you know like detailed serial killer like in seven yeah. or something. So maybe he I just think that maybe it just happened naturally. This dropped out of the sky. Like you remember how Andy gets sucked into the that chair in the White Lodge? Like kind of perfectly right. reverse. It's like perfect. Yeah. You know, so it's like the reverse perfect. It just dropped him down on a reverse perfect woodsman drop after they popped his head off after Major Briggs went floating up and said Cooper Cooper. Yeah, but how did they know her the address? Head, the body stayed. <laughs> now you're getting through the weeds oh. alright here we go so what's the deal right now you're going to have to come with me now Bill you're not going anywhere yeah you can like, see him starting what? right now it's starting yeah. to kind of oh god kind of like you know become very real to him like how much shit he's in it's very Kafka-esque isn't it it is yeah that's uh, yeah. yeah and Kafka obviously is huge in, in Lynch's world he actually showed well has a painting of Kafka or a, a portrait of Kafka on his uh Wall in, in the Cole's office, but yeah, yeah. Lynch said if he wanted, if he ever got to do, or if Kafka ever wanted to do a crime picture, that he's on board. What's he said that Lynch said that or, Kafka? Yeah, he said if there's any writer in the world, any artist, he's my brother. He, he does. It. He wanted to do the Metamorphosis, but he just didn't have the money for the effects to how uh, he wanted to do it back in the eighties. Well, this is like the well, we got this, isn't it? We, yeah, <laughs> we got the bug. I think Sabrina Sutherland yeah. called it a frog moth. Yeah, yeah frog moth. I like, I like that, that too. Um, yeah, and I think with Hastings, he knows obviously what happened in the zone, but there's still he's still confused about certain aspects of it. So I think a part of him is like, "Why am I here?" But another part is like, "Yes, I know why I'm here." It's this conflict, and uh, we're seeing that. And he's giving such a very real, natural performance. It goes a little bit over the top, but it, it for me, it's it's it, it makes total sense within the construct of the story, and I just love. Well, yeah, and like just like uh, the Cooper, I mean, just like Gordon and everybody couldn't remember what happened after they had their encounter with the Zone. Like their memories are yeah. Fine. Like well, Diane, Miguel, Jeffrey's in, or excuse me, 
Albert and Cole were a little foggy on Jeffries back in 1989. Remember when uh, Cole said, who do you think this yeah, is there? I'm, I'm starting to remember yeah. that. You would think... That might be like a natural like woodsman mechanism or a lodge mechanism because you don't really want to remember that shit anyway. You know, but give you a little, give you a little men in black memory <laughs> for certain things. Yeah, but Lynch isn't going to give you that. You He's going to yeah. But it does make sense. Um, here's Phyllis again, giving the keys, and they're going to search the trunk. Tulpa Phyllis. I do. You, I don't. I don't think it's a tulpa. I don't think she looks. She like does a look like a tulpa. I never trusted her. Yeah, I looked at her and said I would not. Well, I just her. love her. We're going to talk about it here in a little bit with. Part two, uh, that scene with, with, with Lillard Hastings in the jail cell when they're just eye to eye, basically, accusing the other. And I would love to know how Mr. C happened upon her. Was it when he got her name from Hastings or has he known her for a while? I mean, you could do a whole yeah, thing. Right. I wish Mark Frost would do like the Mr. C story, you know, detect or the stories from the 25 years. Just do a series. Yeah, the Mr. T. Yeah, the Chronicles. Yeah. Thank Last you. Yeah. So what's with this? Okay, they're looking in the Volvo in the trunk of Bill Hastings' car. And what are we going to see? The dog leg? No, it's like a piece of flesh, right? Piece of flesh? What does that well, even mean? Doesn't uh, Mackley go How does wolf? that tie in? So I always assumed yeah, it so was what, what like is a it? dog ear or part of a paw. And you, How did he get back there? Is it Cooper, Mr. C, dropping the dog legs and ears and things around? I, yeah. That's what he did, I mean, right? I think you, you could connect it dog to... machine gun, cocaine. <laughs> to uh, the dog leg, obviously, but uh, who's connected to Warden Murphy. But, yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a good question. Well, it's interesting to see this giant transition here at the end of episode one that's not in the normal you know, release. They, I don't think they're going to keep this. But to see the giant looking at that scratching sound... Uh, kind of interesting in retrospect but he's probably still ruminating on agent people being an idiot he's wondering who am i gonna to have to call now like freddie go get somebody out of the blue to help out and the next fire alarm happens Coop's do you think he regrets going to cooper in the original series where maybe he should have gone to andy instead yeah he's like you're far away when you have to enlist andy and lucy like to save the day and just some freddie bring freddie sykes import over from east london you know and have to give him the specific go to twin peaks he should have said like help agent cooper he is an idiot but yeah i think it's a possibility i, I like think agent cooper i mean i don't like that idea but i think that's probably a probable idea. i think his brain is scrambled a la jeffries going through spending 25 years in the lodge coming out and then crossing over into another dimension and um just being uncertain i think that's what happened to jeffries we saw that in Firewalk with me i i hope Cooper's evolution isn't a, a teapot like Jeffrey's, but it very well may be. Maybe that's what Chet Desmond is. He'd be like a waffle <laughs> griddle or a pancake griddle. Or a coffee maker. Right. He'd be an awesome coffee he would maker. Be or a espresso machine, maybe. Yeah. But uh, I, that's what I think. I don't think he's a bad detective. And I think that he his motives are pure. But obviously, I think uh, Cooper... I don't think his motives he's are He's dealing with his shadow <laughs> self, though. He never dealt with that right. in... The 25 years in the lodge and in the, what, one and a half episodes when he became Cooper and in Vegas and went to Twin Peaks, he didn't deal with, with Mr. C. They really need, like, a therapist in the lodge, you know, to, like, to work out their issues while they're in the lodge. Don't you think a therapist would really be some good, <laughs> well, there are good business some nice there? furniture in there, and, uh, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I could see, the, the yeah I could see that. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, we're done with this episode, so any last thoughts before we uh, move on to the next episode? Yeah, next um, I, like, going back, like, the one? first time I saw part one, we knew we had three other hours, and uh, I was anxious to get to part two because part one was so 
I wouldn't say slow, but it was completely different than what my expectations were. And it did build um, this narrative steam, but we didn't really get anything with Cooper other than the opening. We got the introduction of Mr. C. And other than a brief glimpse of a couple of characters in Twin Peaks, it was new faces, new locations. It was a whole new beast. So um, on first impression, I was just anxious to get to part two and hoping, well, maybe it'll be better than part one. But now that I've seen it numerous times and obviously have seen the whole series, um, not, I mean, I, I do appreciate it. It's not my favorite hour to revisit, but I know what they're, they're doing. I know what the intention is. And um, I, I love the slow build. And uh, it's just a different beast altogether. Yeah, and I still think that glass box scene, that was one of the best scenes in the whole series. Yeah, so that's the right. one takeaway from that. this episode that was the big one that still has us wondering what in the fuck was going on there. And that, is that the real evil that has inhabited uh, the Palmer house at the end of the series that may be inhabiting? Uh, we wonder where it went when it busted out of the box. Maybe it ended up in Al Shimon's head, head. You know what I'm saying? You never know. Sarah, Al Shimon, yeah. that's where it went. It could that's be also there, so like you know we'll metaphoric or symbolic of the evil that, that permeated all of our different locations. Um, everywhere we went, there was a darkness and no place more than Twin Peaks itself. And if we want to associate the Palmer House with this hub of new evil, that that very well may be where the experiment um, traveled to. Um, but, you know, we don't know. It sure looks yeah. like that. It sure looks like that. That looked like the thing that was smashing up the, uh, the, the Laura uh, framed photo that wouldn't go away. That was the screech. Of the mother, I think. But uh, I guess we'll have to keep talking about that. Um, in the meantime, you guys, I guess uh, we're still on Twitter, Facebook. Tom's all over the place doing that. So uh, we'd love to hear all your ideas and thoughts. And you can find us on Facebook, I mean, on iTunes and SoundCloud and a bunch of other platforms. We love all the ratings we've been getting and five-star reviews. So thanks a lot, you guys. Um, yeah, our next podcast will be doing episode two. Until then, thanks for tuning in.